If you would, I want to invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And today I want to speak to you about groaning with hope. Groaning with hope. Would you join me in prayer as we get started? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. We thank you for giving it to us. It is an incredible gift from you. Father, we thank you that we can learn about you. We praise you for that. Father, our prayer is that through your word today, Father, you would speak to us, that you would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, if there's someone who has never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Father, they would turn from their sin and, and follow Jesus. Father, for those who have trusted in Christ, Father, I pray that today uh, would be a, another day where we grow in our walk with you. Uh, Father, would you just be honored and glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever endured something difficult in order to obtain some sort of prize or reward? Have you ever endured something difficult in order to obtain some sort of prize or reward? I've experienced this sequence of present difficulty followed by future reward many times in my life, and I'm sure that you have as well. For instance, I can remember sitting at the piano, practicing chords and scales, and playing songs that I had never heard of and, to be honest, never wanted to hear again, all while a very strict teacher pointed out every wrong move that I made. The daily practice was grueling, and walking from the car into her house for my lessons was even more grueling. And I would think, is it worth it? I can also remember running lap after lap around the track. Every muscle in my body ached. My lungs burned from the heavy breathing. My eyes burned from the sweat. My body just wanted to collapse as my mind thought about the fact that I was going to wake up tomorrow and do the same thing again. And I began to think, is it worth it? I can remember the late nights studying and my eyes staring at a blank screen, knowing thousands of words stood between me and the finished research paper. And my mind being so exhausted from memorizing all the formulas for the exam and being almost in tears because I couldn't understand the material that was being thought. And I began to think in that moment, is it worth it? You see, there are many examples in life of enduring a present difficulty in order to attain some sort of prize or reward in the end. But not only is that true of certain things in life, if you think about it, it's true of life itself. And so what then keeps us going in those moments? What keeps us going in life? Currently, as you are very well aware of, we are experiencing something that very few people in our lifetimes have ever experienced. Every so often we experience something that gets classified as an epidemic, but 
very rarely do we experience something that's classified as a pandemic. That is something which impacts the whole world. And yet, if we step back and look at life from the lens of God's word, we will see that what we're experiencing right now with the spread of this virus is really just a symptom of a deeper pandemic experienced by every human being who has ever lived. The truth is, we wake up in a pandemic every single day. Life is full of difficulties. Life is full of suffering. Life is full of heartache. Life is full of bad news. Life is full of pain. Life is full of sickness. Life is full of stress. And and this is true worldwide. Of course, there are moments of happiness and success and celebration, but most of us would say that at least during certain seasons of our lives, those happy moments are few and far between, or at least sometimes it seems that way. Often in life, we are faced with this question, is it worth it? Now, I believe enduring and enduring with joy The present difficulties, whatever they may be, is worth it because God's word says that it is worth it. Today, I want to encourage you during this time of trial from a passage of scripture, which gives us hope for today by rooting our current pandemic in a much deeper pandemic and then shifting our focus from the present suffering to a coming glory. Now, if you'll Uh, Grab your copy of the Bible and follow along with me as I read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. This is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The main idea for us today is this. Our hope for future redemption rooted in our past salvation enables us to wait well in the midst of present suffering. I'll say that one more time. Our hope for future redemption rooted in our past salvation enables us to wait well in the midst of present suffering. Paul here is writing this letter to the Christians in Rome. And in chapter 8 of Romans, Paul is teaching the believers in Rome about the hope and peace they get to live with since their life is now controlled by God's Spirit who lives in them as a result of their belief in Jesus. Now, let's focus in on these verses here 
um, verses 18 through 25 in chapter 8. Paul writes this section kind of like a math problem, but maybe in a different order. Have you ever had a math teacher say, don't just give the answer, show your work too? Well, here Paul introduces to us a problem in verse 17, at least something that could appear to be a problem. He gives the solution in verse 18, and then he shows his work in verses 19 through 25. The problem that we face is suffering. Paul introduced this topic of suffering back up really in verses 16 and 17, where he said this. You can look at verse 16 and 17 in your Bible, still in chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That sounds great, right? We're children of God. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Now you see the problem. God's word doesn't sugarcoat our current situation. The hope and peace we have as believers, which is real, does not mean that our lives are free from suffering. Paul hits this truth. Um, head on here in this passage. We are children of God. Hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord. But we still suffer in this life. That's the problem. Paul's solution? Endure the suffering by comparing it to what comes after the suffering. Endure the suffering by comparing it to what comes after the suffering. Why should we endure this suffering? How can we endure? He gives the summary statement for this solution in verse 18. Look back there again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is what keeps Paul going. That is why he keeps enduring. That is how he doesn't lose heart in the midst of the suffering. But like the teacher who says, show me your work. Let me see how you arrived at that solution. Paul anticipates that his readers are going to want to see his work as well. And so we find his work behind the solution in verses 19 through 25. So verse 18 gives us solution. Verses 19 through 25, we find the work. How does he arrive at this? In these verses, verses 19 through 25, Paul gives some facts about our suffering. I believe that right knowledge is essential to a right response. If we can think rightly about a situation, we will be much better equipped to then respond appropriately. Think about it this way. When, when you call 911 uh, and you have an emergency, the dispatcher doesn't begin with, now, could you take a moment and tell me how you're feeling about this emergency? It's not that your feelings are important. It's not that the dispatcher doesn't care. But at this point, the dispatcher needs to know the facts. Where are you? What happened? How many people are involved? Are you still in danger? Is someone hurt? And the questions may continue. So let's look at some of the facts of our present suffering so we will respond with patient hope rather than hopeless worry. Paul orders verses 19 through 25 like a chiasm. Now, I know that's a word we probably don't use very much. A chiasm is where you build up to a main point and then you walk back down in reverse order of the way you built up to it. That may seem a little strange, but I'm going to explain this to you in this text, and I think it will actually help us make sense, better sense of this text. From verse 19 through 22, 
Paul argues that creation is waiting with expectation because of a certain hope, even though it is currently groaning. Then in verses 23 through 25, he works his way back through those same points in reverse order with humans as the focus. He says we are groaning, but we have hope, which leads us to wait with expectation. So picture this with me. Think about it almost like a staircase that goes up and then down. Creation is over here. This is this staircase. Creation waits with hope while it groans. Humans over here groan with hope while we wait. You got it? So creation waits with hope while it groans. Humans groan with hope while we wait. That's the order of verses 19 through 25. Let's work through the facts, beginning with the groaning, moving to the hope, and then finishing with the waiting. Here's the first fact. Fact number one, right now we groan with creation because creation is enslaved to corruption. Right now we groan with creation because creation is enslaved to corruption. So we're going to actually start at the top here, the groaning. Verse 22 says that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And then if you'll notice verse 23, it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly. Now, I've never given birth to a baby, and I don't plan on giving birth to a baby. But I have witnessed the birth of all four of my children. And let me just say, the groans coming from the pains of childbirth are real, they're deep, they're agonizing. When Scripture compares the groans of creation and our groans as humans to a mother in labor, we need to realize the seriousness of these groans. The groans are real and they are deep and they are often agonizing. We witness the groan of creation through things like disasters, um, such as hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and tsunamis and famine. We experience the groans of humanity through cancers and viruses and aches and pains and death and grief. Why does creation groan? Why do we groan? We groan because creation and humanity have been corrupted. And this passage implies that creation is enslaved to this corruption. In verse 21, when Paul says creation is looking forward to the day when it is set free from its bondage to corruption. Let me ask you a question. When did this bondage to corruption begin? When did this bondage to corruption begin? To answer that question, we have to go back to the beginning. Well, at least almost (laughs) to the beginning. In the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, we learn that God created the world and that everything in it was very good. That was God's description of the world that he had made very good. But in chapter 3, the first humans rebelled against God by disobeying him. And as a result, God cursed both Humanity and all of creation. Scripture says in Genesis chapter 3, To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, 
Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So why is there suffering in this world? Why do we see creation groaning? Why are we groaning? Why is creation corrupted? Because humans chose to sin. And the result was God's good creation being cursed. And it was a worldwide curse. It was a pandemic this is the pandemic behind all other pandemics. Now, I think this fact helps us do two things. Number one, it helps us not be surprised when creation groans. It helps us not be surprised when creation groans. As Christians, we should not be shocked when the doctor says that we have cancer. And we should not be shocked when a hurricane destroys our home. We should not be shocked when a virus spreads across the planet. Or when a loved one dies. We are broken people living in a fallen world. Each day we wake up in a corrupted creation. We should expect to experience corruption when living in a corrupted creation. So it helps us not be surprised when creation groans. The other thing that this fact helps us with is this. It helps us place the blame where it belongs. We are the ones who messed up God's creation. Humans chose to sin. We don't blame God, we blame ourselves. Sin is the reason creation is corrupt. And we are the reason that sin entered the world. We shouldn't blame God when we were the ones who failed to obey His Word. So it helps us place the blame where it belongs. Fact number one, right now we groan with creation because creation is enslaved to corruption. But just like the groaning from the pains of childbirth, our groaning doesn't last forever. The mother's groaning turns into the joy of holding that little baby. And likewise, our groaning is turned into glory. And this leads us to our second fact that we find here in this passage. Fact number two is this. We have hope that one day the groaning will turn to glory as our salvation is completed. We have hope that one day the groaning will turn to glory as our salvation is completed. So we started up here. Remember our chiasm staircase? We started with the groaning. Now we're moving to the next step, which is the hope. And so we're going to talk about the hope of creation and the hope of humanity. In verses 20 through 21, look at your copy of God's Word. In verses 20 through 21, we see Paul speak of hope in regards to the creation. And then from the end of verse 23 through 24, we see him speak of hope in regard to humanity, specifically saved humanity. So in regard to creation, Paul says in verses 20 through 21, he says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the hope for creation 
is that it will be set free from corruption alongside the freedom experienced by the children of God. In other words, when God sets his children free to experience him and his goodness and his glory forever, then creation will share in that freedom. But to understand that more fully, we've got to look at the other side. We've got to look at the human side of this hope. Notice the end of verse 23 and the first part of verse 24. We find these words, as we wait eagerly. We groan, but we groan as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. So the hope into which we were saved is the hope that God will adopt us as sons, which means our bodies, according to this passage, will be redeemed. And the word redeemed means to be set free from slavery at a price. There's a lot to unpack here, but just notice with me a few quick observations. First, this hope is only for those who have been saved. This hope is only for those who have been saved. Our hope for the future is rooted in a past salvation. Our hope for the future is rooted in a past salvation. If you'll notice, it says, for in this hope we were saved. It's in the past, a past salvation. Verse 23 describes those who have this hope as having the first fruits of the Spirit. And for simplicity's sake today, just know that if you, if you do not have the Spirit of God, then you have not been saved. And the way you have the Spirit of God in you is by trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save you. We see that even in chapter 8. If you look back at verse 9 of Romans chapter 8, we find these words. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If you've been saved from sin by God's grace through your faith in Jesus, then you have hope. But if you have not been saved from sin by God's grace through faith in Jesus, then you have no hope. Listen, even if that's you today, even if you have never been saved, you can be saved today. I would encourage you to go back and read perhaps Romans chapter 3, specifically verses 9 through 26. Or better yet, read all of Romans chapter 1 through 8. Or even better, just read the whole book of Romans. You will find, if you do, that everyone will be saved who believes that when Jesus died on the cross, he was taking our place, he was dying for our sin, he was making us righteous before God, even though we don't deserve it. Our redemption has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Right now, you can trust in Jesus for salvation. If you have never been saved, then I urge you, call on Jesus right now. Turn from your sin and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross to save you. Second, I want you to notice that as we continue to look at this this theme of hope, I want you to notice that our past salvation is still a work in progress. The hope is only for those who are saved, but notice that our past salvation is still a work in progress. While it is true that God has adopted us into his family, it's also true that the adoption process is not yet complete. We belong to him now, but we don't live with him yet. His last name is our last name, but we haven't moved in with him yet. 
We are waiting on the completion of this adoption process, which is described here as the redemption of our bodies. Now, again, our spirit has already been redeemed if we placed our faith in Jesus. We have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We are no longer slaves to our sins. Back up in this passage to verse 14 through 16. And there we find these words. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are right now. If you trusted in Jesus, you are a child of God. But our redeemed spirits are still living in a corrupted body, in a corrupted creation. Our redeemed spirits are still living in a corrupted body, in a corrupted creation. Even though God has saved me, I still live in a world where viruses live, and I still have a body that can be infected with a virus. But not forever. For the adoption process will one day be complete. One day, we will be given a new body in the new heavens and earth. One day, the groaning will turn to glory as our salvation is completed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul speaks of our body as a tent. He speaks of our body as a tent. I'm going to read a few verses beginning in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee." And then I want to read you one more passage of Scripture. It comes from Second, uh, excuse me, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. One day the adoption process will be complete. One day the groaning will turn into glory. And when God completes our salvation by finally removing all the effects of the curse from our bodies, He will also finally remove all the effects of the curse from all of creation. There will be a new heavens and a new earth and we will dwell there with God in our new bodies. Brothers and sisters, our ultimate hope is not 
and flattening a curve or finding a cure or in a rebounding stock market or in a return to normal. Now, it's not that we don't want to take steps to see those things happen. Absolutely we do. But we don't hope in those things. If our hope is in a return to normal, then we don't really have much hope because a return to normal is a return to a corrupted creation. There's no ultimate hope in that. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. And this is the hope of all creation. That God has saved us. That He is saving us. And that He will one day finish saving us regardless of whether the curve flattens or the cure is found or the stock market rebounds or things return to normal. Our hope is that Jesus has broken the worldwide curse through His death and resurrection. But one more thing before we leave this theme of hope. I want you to notice this, third, that we can't see the completion of this salvation yet, and thus it is hope. We can't see the completion of this salvation yet, and so it is a hope. Verse 24, it says this, Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? Who hopes for what he sees? Right now, we see corrupted bodies living in a corrupted creation. But thank God what we see now is not what the future holds for believers in Christ. And this hope leads us to a certain way of living, which is the third fact that I want you to see in this passage. Fact number three, the hope we have for the future leads us to wait with patience in the present. The hope we have for the future leads us to wait with patience in the present. We see creation waiting in verse 19 and we see saved humans waiting in verse 25. So remember, we started up here on the top of the staircase with uh, groaning, and then we moved to hope, and now we're looking at the waiting. Creation waiting and humans creating. Verse 19 says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What are we to do now? While we live in this corrupt creation, while we groan, and yet while we live here with hope for the future and what is coming, what do we do now? We wait with patience. We wait with patience. I like the definition my wife uses with our kids when she's trying to teach them patience. Which, by the way, there's nothing that will expose your impatience like trying to teach a child to be patient. Well, maybe that's just me. Uh, but just try it sometime and you'll see you're not as patient as you think you are. Anyways, my wife defines patience to our kids like this. She says, to be patient is to wait well. To be patient is to wait well. I think that's exactly how this passage is calling us to respond to the groaning we experience while remembering the hope that we have. Our groaning with hope should lead us to wait well. To wait well means we don't live in fear. We don't live in worry. We don't live in apathy and we don't live in denial. To wait well means we live with joy 
in the midst of a groaning creation. To wait well means we live in this world without looking to this world for our hope. To wait well means we live in the groaning without denying it, but also without being overwhelmed by it. To wait well means we live looking for ways to point one another and to point others to what is coming in the future for all who belong to Jesus. The hope we have for the future leads us to wait with patience in the present. So that is the work behind the solution. Remember the math problem? We had the solution and then the work behind the solution. That is the work behind the solution. Creation and humanity groaning, hoping, waiting. But let's end where we began. Let's end where we began, and that was with the solution. Fact number four. We can wait well because the coming glory outweighs our present suffering. This is good news. We can wait well because the coming glory outweighs our present suffering. Remember verse 18? Remember Paul's comparison? Now that we've waited through all the work behind the solution, let's look back at the solution to the problem of how to endure suffering. That solution, verse 18, look in your Bible, says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the equation that kept Paul going. That's the equation that would keep the Roman Christians going. And that's the equation that will keep us going no matter what we face. The coming glory is greater than the present suffering. The coming glory is greater than the present suffering. You say, Pastor, it's hard. Life is hard. There is so much suffering. There is so much uncertainty. Friend, I know. I know. But you can wait well as you consider what lies ahead. God is saying to you today through His Word, you should endure the trials of today with patient waiting because the coming glory outweighs your present suffering. God's Word does not deny the reality of suffering, but it shifts our gaze to the coming glory so that we will press on and endure. Christian, what is coming for you is the unending blessing of sharing in the riches of Christ for all of eternity. Christian, what is coming for you is the unending joy of being in the presence of God for all eternity. What is coming for you, Christian, is described this way in Revelation chapter 21. Beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. 
and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Paul says, friends, I've done the math. I have done the math. Like the musician looking to the recording contract, like the athlete looking to the winner's podium, like the student looking to the diploma, we look to heaven. And as we do, we will say, it's worth it. It's worth it. Why? Why is it worth it? Because the coming glory far outweighs the suffering we face today. All creation and all humanity is groaning. But, praise God, we groan with hope. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this passage from your word. Father, it is encouraging to read a passage such as this when we consider the brokenness of this world in which we live. Father, our world is groaning. It has been groaning since Adam and Eve sinned and You pronounced the curse over creation. But Father, we thank You for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We thank You that He came and through His death and resurrection broke the curse. And Father, one day we're going to experience life free from the suffering that comes with living in a fallen world. But until that day comes, Father, we groan, but we groan with hope. Help us to wait well. Help us to wait with patience. Help us to keep loving You and serving You by serving one another. Help us to keep sharing this good news of the Gospel of Jesus. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on what is coming. Father, in the difficult times of life, help us to remember this math equation that Paul has shared with us, that you have shared with us in your word. That the coming glory far outweighs the present suffering. We praise you for that, God. It's only by your grace that we can have hope in the midst of a broken creation. Father, we love you. And we thank you that you first loved us. Help us to walk in your word each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.